You know, in World War II, there was uh, a special unit of paratroopers called the uh, Pathfinders. And the Pathfinders had as their symbol the torch. And the reason is because the Pathfinders would parachute in behind enemy lines at night, and their job was to light a path, literally, for the invading army that would come after them in the early hours of the morning. Nine of them would come and set a perimeter. Nine of them would drop down and they would begin to look for the shallowest parts of the river or the thinnest parts of the brush and they would light the path so that others could come through. They set the tone. They're the ones that set the tone in courage. They're the ones that paved the way for other people. And I have always believed that when you face a challenge as an organization or as a community, that's where leaders ought to be. Leaders ought not to lead from the ivory tower. Leaders ought to be the ones that are going first. And so, if you are new with us, uh, you've joined us on a day that we have set aside as sort of a special day as our, ch- as our church begins to say, hey, how do we take our next step in generosity? And what I decided to do a couple of weeks ago in the spirit of the Pathfinders is come to our leaders first. I took our staff and I took our elders and I walked them through this and I said, hey, what, do you, what is God calling you to do in your next step in generosity? And I just want to share this with you because it encouraged me. We had 7% of those commitments that came back and said, we're going to be a compassionate giver. We're going to be people that take that first step or we're going to give towards celebration of hope or something like that. We had 18% of the leadership of this church said, we're going to become consistent givers. Maybe we've given 20 bucks here or there over time, but we are going to be consistent givers going forward. Uh, When it comes to Christ first giving, this idea of giving 10% or this, you know, tithe, we had 22% of our leadership that said we are going to do that. And we had commitments come in for catalytic giving, which should say we want to go above and beyond the tithe. 53% of the commitments that came in from our leadership said that's what we want to do. And I think that is worth celebrating. Now, this is the day that we set aside to take those next steps, but some of you are overachievers. <laughs> and you actually started taking next steps sooner than today. And so I want to celebrate with you that if you look at this two-month period of time and compare it to last year, the same two-month period of time, there are first-time givers, people that have given for the first time. That average is up 125%. That is huge. That is huge. And I think what's cool about that is that 27% of the people that attend our church at all of our campuses are new within the last three years. For a church that's had challenges, for a church that's been through a pandemic, to know that there are new people coming all the time, that ought to be encouraging to you guys. There are some amazing things happening around here. So, if you have this card, could you just hold it up to make sure everybody got it? I just want to make sure the, everybody did it. Okay, so we're going to be looking at this card. Let me walk you through this real quick. Uh, and we'll use this at the end of the service. You'll see that folks have already put some amazing... Our first service was just amazing. Um, anyway, this card, if you'll look, the first thing you see is someone's name, and you put your email and that sort of thing. You might say, well, why do I need to put my name? Can't this just be something between me and God? And the reason you put your name and your email and everything is that if you miss a donation, I show up at your house at 6 a.m. And I, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, um, 
I, I learned my lesson from that. You know, actually, uh, we actually uh, were at a, another church a few years ago, and we had let out on this campaign. This, we were building a building. And if you've ever done that before, like you, you set aside a pledge for like two years or that sort of thing. And so um, we, were, we, we were doing this, and about four months in, <laughs> about four months in, we're all sitting around, the leaders of the church and elders and that sort of thing, and we were looking at reports, we were looking at sort of analyzing how things were, were going, but we blacked out everything, right? And we blacked out all the names of the people, and we were looking at this report, and it happened to be this report, follow me this, follow me this, happened to be a report of people that had pledged a pretty significant amount of money, but who in the course of had not given a dime yet to this thing. And I admit it, I'm a carnal pastor, okay? You probably need to go to another church because I got frustrated. And I looked and I was like, okay, there's this first name up there. It's blacked out. And I'm going, who would pledge so much and then give nothing? I said, I need to know, who is that? And they, un, they unblacked out the name. And it was us. It was our name. And I'm sitting there in front of the big, and it turns out what we had done is we hadn't clicked the, uh, on the mobile giving, we hadn't clicked the, uh, re- the recurring gift. And here we were, I was, <laughs> but it was me. Anyway, um, so anyway, here's why we're going to take your name on this, because what we want to do in each of these categories is we'll follow up with you just with an email uh, so that you can sign up for different resources or different ways that you can take a next step. Let me give you an example. So if you click, hey, I'm going to do compassionate giving, we're starting this thing called the Dollar Club around here where people can give a dollar every week and then we're going to give that away to people in the community and hopefully change a lot of lives. And, and so if you click compassionate giver, then you'll get an email like in a week or two weeks whenever we start that so that you know that you can sign up for that. All right, make sense? Or if you click consistent giver, uh, then what we'll do is we'll send you a link to MyWell, which is our online uh, and mobile giving app. And you can, you can say, hey, I can sign up for 20 bucks a month or 50, whatever God calls you to do. Or Christ First. Now, I did not have any way to sign up for the tithe. I just thought, you know, people do the tithe. And, and by the way, with any of these, you don't have to sign up for anything. If you just want to do it, you can do it. But with the Christ First thing, last week Pastor Robert Morris was here and he talked about this thing called the Tithe Challenge that they did at their church. And what they'll do for people that had never tithed before, um, to encourage them, to sort of pastor them, what they did was they'd have people sign up and they would tithe for, you know, two months, three months or that sort of thing. And if it wasn't going well, then they could actually, they'd have a pastor that would visit and talk with them. And the church could even give the money back to help these people out and help pastor them through this. And I just loved the heart of that. There were hundreds of churches across the country that are doing this tithe challenge thing. So we're actually going to write up a Willow version of that, and we'll put that on the website as well. And if you're interested in that, you can sign up. And then this idea of catalytic. If you sign up for catalytic giver, then we will um, put your, uh, give you information on different projects that are happening around the church and if you say, well, I'm excited about that project, or I have a passion for a next-gen project, or a compassion project, or a facilities project, or something like that, then you can give toward that, and you can accelerate the speed at which we accomplish those projects. That is what we're doing today. Um, but let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into the Bible teaching today, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I... I'm kind of overwhelmed right now with the spirit of this place. And I know, Father, there's probably 
new folks here that are skeptical or, you know, anytime you talk about money in a church, people get uh, antsy. But, Father, from the beginning of this series, because I was a little nervous too, from the beginning of this series, Lord, you have been with us. And I've watched people respond. I've watched the spirit. I've watched the heart. God, I've prayed that my heart would be in the right place. And God, we've just been experiencing that up to this point. We got to be a part of a first service, Lord, where folks were just had their spirit, their heart in the right place. And I guess my prayer today, Lord, is that, that we wouldn't mess it up, that I wouldn't mess it up. I pray, God, that the spirit of Jesus, your heart for people, your heart for us, God, that it would permeate the next 20, 25 minutes, and God, that you would move, that your Holy Spirit would be with us. There wouldn't be a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship, of daughtership with you. Yeah. Speak to us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, generosity has been a mark of the Christian faith ever since the beginning. If you look in the Bible, the word faith is used 246 times. The word uh, hope is used 185 times. The word love, 733 times. But the word give or giving is used over 2,000 times in the Bible. And when that new church began, you know, it was marked by generosity. In that Roman culture, that Greek culture where they lived, those that were under-resourced and poor, they were just sort of cast aside. Those who were sick and lame, and that, they would just sort of be cast aside. But when the Christians came along, they had a love for people that, that caused them to actually pull resources and say, if there's someone in our community that has a need, well, then we want to meet that need. And sure enough, they became known for their generosity. Do you know that moved past that New Testament church so that if you look at the history of Christianity, you will see that a lot of the uh, amazing things that have happened, like um, uh, hospitals, the concept of caring for the sick in an organized way, that came out of Christians. That's why so many hospitals are St. Bartholomew or St. Luke's or St. Joe's or that sort of thing. It's because Christians said, we want to care for, and they were generous to make that happen. Orphanages. Up until that time, a lot of uh, kids, if they didn't have, they either went with family or they were just left to be on their own. But Christians would come and say, no, we need to take care of. And orphanages were started. Schools were started. A lot of the charities that were started were because Christians were generous and those resources were used in powerful, God-honoring ways. And then you just look at Jesus. Jesus taught a lot about resources and contentment and trusting God, and he would use money as an example a lot of times. And what I want to look at today is actually the last parable of Jesus. This is in Matthew 25. And when I think about the last parable, I mean, Jesus knows that he's about to go to the cross. And when I think about, you know, some of the last things that he wants to make sure we get, you know, like make sure his followers get this. And he talks about the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son, and, you know, lost people matter to God. That was a huge one. And then he would talk about the sheep and the goats. And this one is about, um, well, it really sums up the entire series that we've been going through. So let me run through this. I'm going to read it to you. And, and then we just pop through it and see some of the things that really, I think, sum up this entire series. I'm in Matthew 25, verse 14. It says this, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. 
To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five, or brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, I said bags of gold. You may have heard it referred to as minas or referred to as talents. They've used different words over the the course of time. This is a fairly popular parable of Jesus. And I read uh, or I heard Rick Warren preach on this passage, and he had six principles that I think are just great. So I'm going to use his six principles and give you some comments of my own along the way. The first principle is this, ownership, ownership. Verse 14 says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted. Now, that is not gave. He did not give or transfer ownership of his wealth to them. He entrusted them to manage it. This is the waffle fry principle. If you were here uh, five weeks ago when I talked about that, this idea that God owns it all. He's the source of it all. He's in control of it all. Like he just owns it all. God is the source. Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There's a bathroom in my house. It's a very unique bathroom because it sits in between a teenage college son's bedroom and a high school teenage boy's bedroom. Now, the guys in the room are just going, okay, I don't get it. But the women in the room maybe are saying, oh, my goodness, I have been in bathrooms after boys. Oh, this is horrible. This is horrific. And you would be right. I have been in this bathroom, guys, where sweat socks have been in this bathroom for weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, it's disgusting. I have been in this bathroom where, you know, they they brush their teeth and they don't do a good job of cleaning up after themselves. And it kind of looks like they're trying to spackle holes in the drywall. Do you know what I'm talking about? That sort of white cakey stuff. And that's over there and that's over there and that's over there. And I will tell you this, that in this bathroom, I don't think a actual roll of toilet paper, paper has been on the toilet paper holder for months and months and months. Anybody with me on that? Right? It's just a disgusting bathroom. And so here's what will happen. Mom will come up, and Dad will be in the office, me, and Mom will say, boys, you need to clean the bathroom. And they'll say, oh, Mom, we'll do it tomorrow, right? And that's when my ears kind of perk up from downstairs. Oh, it's about to happen. And she'll say, boys, I'm telling you, this is disgusting. You've got to get in here, and you've got to clean this up. And they're like, oh, it's not that bad. That's not that bad. And I'm just like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. And it will escalate back and forth. Like I, I'm on deck for this, and then I hear it. A boy will say, Mom, it's my bathroom, and that's my cue. <laughs> because I leap up, I grab the mortgage statement right off the desk, and I run upstairs. In fact, I go up with the grace of Michael Jordan dunking from the free throw line. I've got that mortgage statement. I don't even hit a step on the way upstairs. I'm just like, you know. And once I get upstairs, I throw it in front of the boys and I say, 
whose name is on that mortgage statement? And they roll their eyes, oh, dad. And I said, that's right, dad. I pay for this house. I pay for, I paid the principal and interest. I pay the property tax. I pay all that. And I said, in fact, who paid for those dirty gym socks? You did, dad. Who paid for that toilet paper that's just sitting over there on the floor? You did, dad, right? And who owns this bathroom? You do, dad. Somebody after first service said, they thought the boys should say, you do, dad, so you clean it. (laughs) I said, I'm glad you're not talking to my kids, okay? The point is this, I own it, they use it. They get to use it, but I own it, and God owns it all. So if you've got a truck, that's God's truck. You might love your truck. You might have the dually. You might have the F-450 or the Lightning, whatever you have. And you're all excited about your truck. But somebody next to you needs to borrow a truck. Guess what? Maybe that's God's truck and he's looking at you and saying, hey, you need to help your neighbor. Um, You say, well, I've got uh, my vacation money. We always go to Disney World. But maybe you've gone to Disney World the last five years and your kids have been going to Disney World for five years and they tell you about their friends who need uh, money to be able to go to camp, you know, church camp or or something like that. And and maybe for you, you would say, you know what, God, it's not my money. It's not my vacation money. It's yours. And God, maybe you want us to go to Six Flags this year and then scholarship some of these kids to camp. Maybe you own a business And the truth is, your name's on the deed or your name's on the the tax ID number or whatever, but it's truly, it's God's business. He's the one that gave you the opportunity. He's the one that gave you the the energy. He's the one that gave you your brain. He's the one that gave you the the brakes. He's the one that gave you the energy to work so hard. So you'd say, you know, it's not my business. It's God's business. So therefore, I ought to take care of my employees the way God would have me take care of them. Does that make sense? Like it's all God's. And in my opinion, whenever it comes to financial anything, the silver bullet principle, it all starts with the understanding that God owns it all. Second principle, allocation. Allocation, verse 15. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Now, we all have different circumstances that we're born into. We all have different abilities. We all have, you know, different... uh, Our value is not different, but the truth is that a lot of times we have different amounts of resources. And if you're anything like me, I immediately begin to, to see myself in the one bag of gold kind of person. Or maybe the two bag of gold. But I never think of myself... As the five bag kind of person, but the truth is, the truth is, if I if I really compare myself to the world, I'm actually doing all right. I mean, there's you know, if you make fifty thousand dollars a year, maybe you make more, maybe you make less, but you know, if you make fifty thousand dollars a year, you you make seven times the amount of a house worker in Thailand. If you make $50,000 a year, you make 16 times what a teacher makes in Ethiopia. If you make $50,000 a year, you make two times what a doctor makes in Greece. See, I always think about, man, you know, five bags, that's, that's other people. But the truth is, when I travel, I start to see the world in a different light and my finances in a different light. I went to Nicaragua because our church was helping to plant a church down there. And I remember it was time, you know, we kind of had a break and I really wanted to get a, a cold drink uh, of, of soda. And, um, you know, I had to walk five blocks 
to find some place that had a refrigerator. Five blocks past house after house after house after house after house who did not have a refrigerator and did not even have electricity. And yet, you know what? I'm embarrassed to say this. In my house, because i got kids in college, so i got many fridges. I've got a fridge in the garage. I've got a fridge uh, in, in the kitchen. I, I own four refrigerators. Sometimes they sit empty. Um, I went to Mexico one time, took some high school kids down there. We were going to uh, uh, build homes, basically, for people that were living on a, ga- a garbage dump. Um, incidentally, I expected them to be super depressed when we got down there. They had so much joy. But we built them a house, and it was, you know, it was basically, basically two-by-fours and chicken wire and tar paper. And um, they were very sturdy houses, though, I will say that, because high school students use a lot of nails uh, in those houses. But when I got home, I realized that I have a house for my car. It is a whole lot better than what I built for those people. Maybe you do too. I have a garage. It has a lot of space. It has insulation. It has running water. It has electricity. And I'm just grateful for what God has done in my life. And I don't always feel like I, I, I sometimes am not grateful. I'm sometimes always wanting more. But the truth is God has done a lot in my life. And, and, and you may not be that. You might be somebody that's in crisis right now. You, you may be, you know, uh, tar paper and, 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 and chicken wire. I don't know. But I think, you know, that's part of the reason that we need to get this right. Because as a community, we ought to be taking care of each other. But anyway, the, the, the point of this with allocation is this. We don't all get the same. But we do all have the same responsibility. You'll notice that each one of them is held, and this is the third principle, to an account. There's accountability towards stewardship. So no matter what you have, you are responsible to manage his money well. Verse 19 says, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. So God is basically going to come at some point and audit. Oh, well, that's a scary word. That's a sobering word. That's a sobering thought. That God will audit how how we managed his finances. Romans says this, so each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And here's what's scary about that, is that for a lot of us, we won't even be able to tell him how we did. Right? Because when he comes and says, well, where did the money go? A lot of us will go, honestly, I don't even know. Like, I just kind of, I don't, I don't do the budget thing. I don't do, I don't really track it. I don't do, which is funny because like, we would never stand for that ourselves. If you went down to your bank and you said, hey, I just want to do an account balance check. How much have I got in my checking account? And they go, you know what? We're not real sure. <laughs> like we think it's 1,500-ish, but you know, we don't really track it down to the penny. You'd be like, what? <laughs> like that's my money. And I just think it's interesting that we have God's money and yet a lot of times we don't have priorities for it or goals we don't track it well. We don't have a budget. That's why in, in week three, we tried to talk to you about, um, you know, a, a give first to honor God plan. A, a, a plan that would say we give first to honor God, that we save second to pre- prep for the future, to get on the other side of the compounding interest of, from debt to, to, to savings. And then this idea of living on the rest to, to have contentment. 
And I'll just say this, if you're somebody that, that the idea of money management is just overwhelming to you and a budget just feels like, ah, oh, like I don't know how to do a spreadsheet, I don't know any apps, I don't know any of that stuff, I just want you to know, like we have classes around here. We want to help you with all of this. Just ask. Just ask. We'd love to help you with all of that. But this idea of accountability, that at some point God's going to say, how did you do with my money. And then number four is utilization. We need to use it. We need to use it. Um, the, the guy who had five bags ended up with ten because he used it. The guy with two ended up with four because he used it. The guy who had one went and buried it in the ground. He did not use it. And look at the master's response. You wicked, lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I'd have received it back with interest like he hadn't even tried. He hadn't even tried. And I think what's kind of sad is that there are a lot of times when I think, when when I'll say savings, somebody immediately goes, well, I can't afford to do that. Or when I say, hey, what if we accelerated our debt payments and got out of debt? People go, I can't afford to do that. Or generosity. You say, you know what, I think, you know, God gets involved in your finances when you start being generous. and, And people go, I can't afford to do that. Like, we don't even try. And can I just say to you, like, some of you may be in crisis right now. And if that is true, I'm not going to say these things to you. I'll I'll say them to you when you get out of crisis. The rest of us need to, like, rally around you and help. But for most of us in this room, if you're saying, I can't afford to save, I can't afford to get out of debt, I can't afford to give, can I just give you some tips like some suggestions if you make a budget studies show that you'll find 15 to 25 percent discretionary income just by tracking what you do um there are apps out there that you can connect your credit card to so that when you uh, swipe at the gas pump when you swipe at a uh whenever you swipe it'll round up to the nearest dollar and it will micro save or micro invest the pennies, the change. There are apps that can do that. Um, you can shop your insurance, get better rates. Um, you can cut back on your cable plan. We, I think Rachel and I were paying $120 for cable every month. And so we decided we're going to cut the cable and we're just going to do the Netflix, right? And, and then Hulu and Disney+. Plus and HBO Max and Showtime. And we pay about $4,000 a month now. Um, So be very careful with that suggestion, but I believe you can do it better than us. Cut back on eating out. If you do $15 a day, which I think, you know, that's fast food and, and, and Starbucks. $15 a day, that's $450 a month. That's like, what, I was told there'd be no math as a pastor, so I don't know. I think it's like 5000 or more, you know, a little more than $5,000. Do a staycation. $1,000 versus, I don't know, save 1000 save 3000 I don't know. Buy used cars. Now, my buddy who sells cars, he hates when I say this. But the truth is, you take a $30,000 car, you, you drive it off the lot, about an average of 20% depreciation just to drive it off the lot. That's $6,000 just like that. Who can afford that? I just don't know if that's great stewardship. Pay with cash. Um, which I know if you're young, that's like, I just, I just look like a, I'm so irrelevant now. And I get that. And I am in many ways. But 
do you know that when you have your credit card or your debit card or, or your Apple Pay or your whatever, do you know you're, you, you, you tend to spend 12 to 18% more? So I'm saying all those things, and you don't have to do all those things. I'm just saying, don't immediately run to, I can't afford to save. I can't afford to give. I can't afford. You probably could, if you tried, do some of these things. All right, number five is motivation. Verse 25 says, I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your, t- your bag of gold in the ground. So he's afraid, and that's what gets him into trouble, is that he's afraid. And I will say this, that your motivation with anything that we're talking about today is so important. Your heart is so important. And fear is a horrible motivation. If you are afraid that, you know, you're afraid of the future, so you save and save and save and you hoard and you hoard and you save and you save, that's going to mess you up. Your security doesn't come from money, it comes from God. Or if you're somebody that um, you are afraid that you're not enough, so you'll buy and you'll buy and you'll buy to try to impress the people around you or to make sure that, you know, you just stay happy all the time or, or, or that sort of thing. And I'm just telling you, your significance does not come from stuff. And it is just an unending deal. So don't be afraid that you're not enough. Don't be afraid, like when it comes to giving, don't be afraid of you're not going to get God's blessing or that um, you, you need to feel guilty. Like if I just give, then I'll somehow be earning God's love. That just twists the motivation. And when the motivation becomes that kind of fear, it just messes everything up. And I have been so, dare I say this? Like if I could play the role of the pastor for a second, like I'm just proud. I'm just really proud of the way we have navigated as a church you guys, like emails I've gotten, people that have responded, people that I talked to after the service, I'm just really proud of the heart and the spirit by which we have navigated this difficult conversation over the last few weeks. And, and I, my hope is, is that even today as we sort of like, you know, rubber meets the road, let's make a, a you know, a, a, a sign or a name, like that the spirit would be Um, where it needs to be because the matter the heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart jesus said where your treasure is that's where your heart will be so our heart is tied up in this that's why um, the spirit of today is super important I'm excited about the new mission because I actually know it now. It's simple. It's easy to remember. So if somebody asks me, what is Willow Creek about? I can communicate it like that. Love God, love people, change the world. I've been challenged in taking a next step because of the phase of life that I'm in. My kids have left home, they're not in college, and my husband and I can now take a step back and think of how we can bless others. My ability to contribute and to use my resources and to use my giftings to bless the church, but also to contribute towards the church, being able to go out and cause healing and participate with God in restoration. I'm a student, so I'm not rich. <laughs> I don't give from abundance. I, I give from, from my love to the Lord. I was first challenged to take next steps in generosity here 
I've been at Willow 24 years. I have been blessed so much by the ability to solidify my ties and to give back to God what he has allowed me to manage in this world. So I've been at Willow Huntley for four months, and since then my life has done a complete, you know, 180. My life was hectic, and like now my life is at peace, like my heart has a peace to it, you know? I want to serve God and I want to be around the same people that serve the same purpose. We kind of have a fund of things that we like to to put money towards. I had taken a tour of the care center uh, just a couple of days ago. I've passed by the care center so many times, but this is actually the first time I saw people from the community actually in the building and what it looks like beyond just that one visit. So there was actually people all around and you could see the impact that it's making. And when I had saw it, I had said, I think there's more we can do. We both prayed about it and what changed with our finances were we weren't just reliant anymore on the 10%. We decided from there on out, we were going to continually pray how we could be blessed ourselves by the act of giving sacrificially above that. I love being challenged about money because it reveals my heart. I'm challenged in my generosity just because of my finances. They were saying give a dollar and like next day, the next time you give another dollar. So like, I'm doing that. When you are investing in people, when you're investing in eternity, that's the kind of legacy that really matters. Love God, love people, change the world. God has shown us the beauty of this church and what it means to us. I have been able to grow in my relationship with God here like I haven't at any other church or any other time in my life. I've decided to invest in Willow's future because Willow has invested in me. So I want to invest the same thing that I was given. That way I can change the world as well. Come on. That's amazing. Come on. Man. And... and and I, I heard like all these different levels of giving or these, these, these different steps, but the same spirit throughout. And I love that. The last principle is the principle of reward. Because the master comes back and says to the one who had come up with 10, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Guys, there's always a reward. Now, does that mean that God's going to make you rich real quick? Some of you maybe have zeroed in on, oh, if I have a few things now, he's going to put me in charge of many things. And what I would say to you is that is our heart uh, messed up a little bit. Like that is the prosperity gospel. That is, is making God into sort of the genie in the lamp. That if I say a couple prayers, give a couple bucks, then God has to bless me financially. And that is not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that the reward is not resources. The reward is relationship with the God of the resources. So what that means is, is that now as I give, as I follow, as I trust the Lord, I have a relationship with the one who is able to move into the marriage that I have that's maybe frustrated and fighting about money. And that God that that, that I have relationship now can bring peace in that relationship. 
Or if I am someone that is so um, crazy in debt and I just have a hard time sleeping at night, I have a God that comes in and is able to say, you know what, maybe I can help with loan forgiveness or maybe I can help with a scholarship or, or maybe I can just come in and let you know it's going to be okay and give you some peace. Or maybe it is a God that comes in and says, we're going to help you and give you a raise or, or we're just going to come and we're going to give you strength in the midst of, but just understand when it comes to the reward, It is not about the resources. It is about a relationship with the God of the resources. I was in um, Phoenix this past week, and uh, it was a long flight. When I got in, I was dead tired. All I wanted to do was, you know, take a hot shower and just go to bed. But when I went in the bathroom, um, I, I saw the towels in the hotel bathroom. And some of you that travel, if you, you know what I'm talking about, the, 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 the towels in the hotel bathroom, they have been washed 4,000 times. And so they are like paper thin. They feel like sandpaper. They're like Papa Smurf manufactured them, so they're like this big. It's not fun at all. Are you with me? And like when you get out of the shower, there's nothing better than just like a nice, hot, fluffy towel. Like, yeah. And I remembered that right next door to the hotel was a Target. And it dawned on me, you know what? You know what they have at Target is really nice towels. And I thought, what, what is it, like 12 bucks? You know, I don't know how much a towel costs. I was like, probably 12 bucks or something. So I actually, before I, when I, I went to Target and I went to find a towel and I, I found a towel and I think it was like, $12.58 or something. And, and here's the thing. I'm worth it, okay? So I got that towel, and I put it in my uh, cart, and I turned around. Now, when I turned around, this is where it kind of got interesting, because when I turned around, I saw an end cap on the aisle that said 75% off bed sheets. And I appreciate a good thread count, you know, just like everybody else. And and I've seen those reports on the news with that purple light that kind of, you know, goes into the hotel rooms and there's, there's, there's bed bugs and there's all kinds of things. And so I thought to myself, I'm just 75% off. And it's a little embarrassing to tell you this, but I, I just, I went and got the bed sheets in my cart. And I went a little bit further and I saw, a, you, uh, came across a Dyson fan. Have you ever seen a Dyson fan? It's a bladeless fan. How does it work? I don't know. Voodoo magic. It somehow cools the room. And I'm in Phoenix. And I don't know that the hotel air conditioner is going to keep up. So I took that Dyson fan and I put it in my cart. I went a little bit further and I remember that the TV in the hotel room, only 27 inches. And people shouldn't have to live like that. So I went and got a 55-inch TV. I put that in the cart as well. I checked out, and on the way over, I called a contractor, and I said, hey, if you could get down here, I'd like to bump out a bay window in my hotel room, put a hot tub right in there. It, it, some of you are shaking your heads. I feel like I've lost you at some point. Do you not believe me? I'm a pastor. How do you? <laughs> Okay, all right, well... You're right, I, that, none of that really happened. But here, here's, here, here's my question to you. If you thought that at, at some point, were, were you thinking, why would anybody spend so much money to be comfortable at a place that is only going to be a couple nights? 
And, and if you thought something like that, like why would anybody spend so much time, so much energy, so much effort on a place that's only going to be a couple nights? If you thought something like that, can I ask you a question? Why do we spend so much money on a place that relative to eternity like we're only here a couple nights like why do we spend so much money and effort and time chasing a little nicer car or a little bigger house or a little fancier vacation or you know our name on the nameplate in the corner office or whatever like we spend so much time focused on this place where relative to eternity we're only going to be here a couple nights better that we begin to develop an eternal perspective when it comes to our relationship with God when it comes to our trust with him when it comes to how we spend our time utilize our platform spend his money see here's what I'm focusing on more and more is not so much the shiny car or or, or 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 the house or the three season room or the fancy vacation for me I'm trying and I'm not great at this yet but I'm trying to get up every day and imagine that one day that I won't get up <laughs> that day that that I don't know what it'll be like. I don't know if my eyes will open and there'll be like this light at the end of a tunnel or there'll be pearly gates or if there'll be, you know, uh, gold-covered roads. I don't know. But at some point in my imagination, one thing I do know is that I'm going to stand in front of Jesus one day. No, I'm not. You're not. And you won't either. You don't stand in front. Like when Jesus comes on the scene, you're going to be falling face down in front of him like oh my goodness it is Jesus and your only hope is that at some point he would stoop down and he would he would take your chin and he would lift you and lock eyes with you and smile and say well done good and faithful servant Come and share in your master's happiness. That's what it says in the parable. Like, well done in the way that you used the time that I gave you. Well done, good and faithful servant, in the way that you utilized the platforms or the influence that I gave you. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant, with the way that you had relationships where you encouraged and they encouraged you and and it was healthy and it was wonderful. And well done, the way you took the talents that I gave you and the abilities that I gave you and you used that in in a way that was God-honoring. And yes, well done, good and faithful servant, for how you took the resources, the money that I let you manage and used it in a way that showed that I was the number one thing in your life. Now come and share in your master's happiness. That's what we need to be living for. That kind of trust, that kind of reward, the relationship with Jesus. All right, Um, if you will, uh, we're going to have the band come. And if you'll grab this real quick, what we're going to do is we're going to give you just a couple of minutes uh, while the band plays, and we're going to give you the opportunity to just take some time to pray. We're just going to give you some space and to have you look this over, maybe talk with the person that you came with, 
And I just encourage you to be prayerfully asking God, what is it that he would call you to do? Don't let fear creep in. Don't let cynicism creep in. Just bring your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, what, what would you call me to do? And my trust is that you'll just do what he calls you to do. And then the band will begin to sing. And when began, the band begins to sing, we'll all stand up. And when you stand up, that will be your cue to go ahead and bring this down. You can tear off the, the perforated part. And you can put it right down here on the stage, only let's not let it be a stage today. Let's let it be an altar of worship. If you're in the mezzanine, you, there'll be people in the back, and you can just get up and move to the back, and you can give them, uh, I think they'll have a basket or a table or a place that you can put that perforated edge. My hope, my hope today is that what Jesus said is true. That where your money goes, your heart will follow. Because I can't think of anything more powerful for a church that has been through a pandemic, for a church that has been through leadership change and a whole lot of challenges, for thousands of people to say, not just my money, but my heart aligned for the mission of God in Chicagoland. It's a powerful moment that hopefully years from now we can look back on and say, I remember when. Let me pray for us, and we'll take those next steps together. God, we love you. We pray for courage over fear. We pray, God, that your will be done. We pray, Lord, that we would have a sense of joy. And God, as resources flow, I pray that as we open our hands, God, that you would help resources to get to exactly where you want them to be so they can have the greatest impact for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.